every single day we make decisions that will either strengthen our relationship with the Lord Jesus or will see us drifting away from him. Please do take a seat. And if you could grab a a Bible from the pews and look up that reading we had earlier on from Joshua chapter 24, that'll be really helpful um, over the next little while as um, you try and check out that what I'm saying is what God is saying. Um, As you look that up, uh, feel free to kind of fan the person next to you uh, with your service sheet, cool them down a little bit, make sure they can stay sharp. Um, Not too much or it might get a little bit distracting. Great, hope you're there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we do open up your word tonight, pray that you would help me to explain things clearly and for each one of us to hear your voice. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, from the moment your alarm goes off in the morning, life throws at you a non-stop sandstorm of choices. To snooze, to press the snooze button or not to press the snooze button, that is the question. To hop in the shower or simply spray on some underarm deodorant, that's another. Will it be the understated blue shirt or the vibrant pink one? Will you wear your hair up or down, braid it, bunch it, straighten it or curl it? Or if you're a bloke, will you at least just put a comb through it? And if, like me, you have small people living in your house, then one of the choices you have to make first thing in the morning is how to handle your daughter who cannot find her shoes, even though she left them in exactly, even though they're in exactly the same place she left them the night before. Or what to do about your son who is lying on his bedroom floor with his pants halfway up his legs, whining, I can't do it, I'm too tired. Will you be patient and nurturing? Or will you lose it and start World War III over your children's glacial attempts to get ready? Now, if you've just finished your exams, uh, of course, over the last couple of weeks, then this may all seem fairly irrelevant to you. Your choice is simply whether to get up in time, in time for the lunchtime or the tea time neighbours uh, showing, um, <laughs> and whether to get out of your pyjamas at all. Uh, but whatever time of day you get up, you still face a bewildering array of choices. Researchers have estimated that we make 35,000 different decisions every day. 35,000. And of course, those can range from the trivial, like your choice of breakfast cereal, to the more serious, like what do we do with our time, our money, our talents. But ultimately, all of those choices boil down to a choice between two things, following Jesus or not following Jesus, letting Jesus be Lord of our lives or letting something else be our master. And this is the big issue in this final chapter of the book of Joshua that we're looking at this evening. There are choices to be made. Joshua is coming to the end of his life and these are the final words he speaks to the people he has led for a generation. And he is passionately concerned that they will choose to go the right way, that they will make the right choices in their lives once he is gone. And he says that, that amidst the glittering array of choices that that you will be making day by day, week by week, year by year, for the rest of your life, 
there is one major choice that will underline and underpin every decision you make. It's there in verses 14 to 15, right slap bang in the middle of this chapter, and it's this. Will you be prepared to serve God or not? In a nutshell, he says, are you going to serve the Lord or are you going to serve the other gods that are around you? What are you going to do? Me? Well, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua has his, has his mind made up. What about us? What choices are we going to be making? As we look into the future, look into the future, will you? What choices are you going to be making? And how are you going to make them in such a way that you will echo what Joshua says here? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the challenge of this passage. In order to follow in Joshua's footsteps, he encourages us to do three things. Here's the first one. Remember what the Lord has done. Remember what the Lord has done. The first 13 verses of this chapter are potted history of God's saving actions on behalf of his people. Take a look at verse 1 with me, will you? Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. This is a momentous occasion, in a momentous location. Joshua gathers God's people at Shechem. Now, that might not mean anything much to you, but to the Israelite, this was, this was like a Newcastle United supporter stepping out onto St. James's Park pitch. This is hallowed turf, as this is the very same spot where 500 years earlier, their great, 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 great grandfather Abraham had stood and had heard God promise to your offspring, I will give this land. And it was an amazing promise, as at the time, Abraham was 75 years old and his wife Sarah was barren. To your offspring, I will give this land, says God. And Abraham must have been thinking, but, but we don't have any offspring. And the chances of getting any anytime soon are kind of zilch, zip, nada, nil. And even if we did manage to pop a sprog or two, this land is swarming with Canaanites. How on earth am I and my fictional kids ever going to claim this land? It seems so unlikely that this promise was ever going to come true. Indeed, if it was left to Abraham and Sarah, it would never have come true. Yet here they now are, the descendants of Abraham, thousands of them in the land with the Canaanites defeated, gathered together at Shechem on the very same spot where the promise had been given. The promise had come true. The Lord had kept his word as he always does. He had done what no one else could do. And that's the point of the verses that follow, isn't it? Do you see that? Listen to how it was the Lord who did all of this as we whiz through the first 13 verses of this chapter. This is the Lord speaking. Verse 3, I took your father Abraham for beyond the river. I led him. I gave him Isaac. Verse 4, I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave Esau the hill country. Verse 5, I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt. I brought you out. Verse 7, your eyes saw what I did. Verse 8, I brought, I gave, I destroyed. Verse 10, I delivered. Verse 11, I gave. Verse 12, I sent. Verse 13, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwelt in them. And you eat the fruit of the vineyards and the olive orchards that you did not plant. 
No less than 18 times, God says, look at that. I did that for you. God was behind all these great moments in their history. As he says, it's not what you did, it's what I did that gave you this land. And the point of this GCSE bite-sized history lesson of Israel? Answer? Pride. Because it would be all too easy for the Israelites to look back on this long, successful campaign and say, look at what we've done. Look at how great we are. This gathering of people could break out into one of those back-slapping award ceremonies like the Sports Personality of the Year or the, or the Oscars. And the award for the best leader in a Middle Eastern military campaign goes to Joshua. And as Joshua makes his acceptance speech, he could do a bit of, hey, guys, do you remember? Do you remember when? You know, we, we escaped from Egypt through our incredible negotiation skills. Or do you remember when we brought Jericho's walls just tumbling down you know, through our, our just the sheer ferocity of our trumpet playing. <laughs> All together and everybody, come on. We are the champions, my friends. Could do a little bit of help from the music group on that one. But you get the idea. That's the kind of thing that success does, doesn't it? It tempts us to take pride in ourselves rather than thank God for what he has done for us. So you may well be graduating with a 2-1 or better still a first. Or you might have won a promotion this year, or, or the player of the year, or, or some other kind of award. Or you maybe just had a really, really good year where just, you know, everything seems to have fallen into place and gone your way. And you feel good about yourself. Well, congratulations. I'm really pleased for you. But beware. Because pride is always lurking on the doorstep of success. And pride is deadly. Because it keeps us occupied with ourselves rather than looking to the God who gives us all good things. Given to pride and we become self-obsessed. What keeps us from reading our Bibles and listening to God every day? Pride. Because we think we know it all already, or that missing the odd day or two won't really make that much difference to us. Because we're strong. What is the biggest hindrance to prayer? Pride. Because if we think we've got it all so together that we don't need to pray until something big comes up. What stops us serving others? Putting their needs before ours. It's pride because we think our needs are way more important than others. Pride is deadly because it makes us think that we can cope with life without God. And that's just the attitude Joshua was seeking to challenge in the hearts of the Israelites by encouraging them to not only remember what the Lord had done for them, but also to point to, remember that God is not an optional extra. God is not an optional extra. Dive back into Joshua 24 with me, right into the middle there, to verse 14 again. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness which seems like a complete no-brainer, doesn't it? When we remember everything that God has done for us, remember how good God is to us. But our hearts are so easily distracted. So Joshua goes on. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. 
But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Did you notice what the choice is here? It's not serve the Lord or not. It's serve the Lord or you will end up serving some other God. That's the choice we all face. Serve God or get sucked away to serve something or someone else. To which you might say, well, (laughs) no, you you don't understand, Ken. It's not that I, I want to serve other gods. It's just I don't want to serve the Lord, or at least not at the moment. Not yet. I just want to stay neutral. You sit on the fence for a bit while I kind of make my mind up. But Joshua is telling us there is no such thing as spiritual neutral. We are made to serve God. We are are worshippers by nature. We are designed to worship him. So if we will not serve the Lord, we will inevitably find other things to worship. And if you won't believe Joshua, then listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. No one. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote it to one and despise the other. The fundamental question of life is this. Who are you going to serve? God is not some optional extra we can just add in or subtract out of our lives when it suits us. No. We're not just to believe in him. Not just to trust him for our salvation. But to serve him. We're to make him the undisputed number one in our lives. Tell me. If I saw a video of your life this week. What would you have been living for? Because when we don't live for God's glory, this is what happens. Our hearts are kidnapped and we end up pursuing other dreams. And we expect God, in a way, to be a divine waiter who we touch base with and who comes in and out of our lives and delivers what we want. And if he doesn't, then we'll, we'll jettison him. Or if he's inconvenient, then we'll hide him in a cupboard at the back of our lives and you know, wait for a more convenient time to bring him out. This is why we pray so hard and work so hard for those of you in Cypher who are heading off to university in the autumn. Or those of you who are graduating this summer. For we know how easily it is in times like that for folks to just drift away and end up worshipping other things. We've experienced those kind of temptations ourselves, away from your parents and the support structures of youth group for the first time. Or all alone in a new city, earning a wage and with money to burn. You're surrounded by all kinds of new possibilities. The liberty to try them out. And the anonymity not to get found out. And in those kind of situations, it's all too easy to get sucked away from the Lord. Life is a series of decisions. Every single day we have to choose Every single day we make decisions that will either strengthen our relationship with the Lord Jesus or will see us drifting away from him. It's like the diverging tracks on a railway. I think you call that points or a junction or something like that. Sorry, my railway speak is not very well refined. But you get the idea. You you come to this junction and you can go left or right. You can choose to serve the Lord or pursue other goals. And that day, it doesn't seem like that big a deal. Because even if you've gone down the wrong path, you're still practically speaking, running parallel to God. But then the months go on and you start to drift further away until the years go by and you're on a totally different 
path altogether. And I guess that's why Joshua calls the people in verse 15. Do you see that there? He says, he says to them this, choose this day whom you will serve. This day. Choose now. Don't prevaricate. Don't delay. Don't wait to be sucked away. Choose today. So maybe you've got some decisions at work. And maybe a choice between furthering your career or standing firm for Christ. I hope you can do both, that you can further your career and stand firm for Christ. But we all know that there are moments where it has to be one thing or the other. Choose today to serve Christ. Don't say, maybe next time. It's just a bit too costly at the moment. Or what about relationship decisions? Will you go out with and possibly end up marrying someone who has no concern for the things of Jesus Christ? Or will you give that person up in order to be undistracted from your service of the Lord? Don't let that decision linger. Deal with it today, before it gets out of hand. Or perhaps you are starting at university or in a new job this autumn, and you're wondering about when or how to let folks know that you're a Christian. Well, say something straight away. Don't delay. Be upfront from the word go about your faith in the Lord Jesus. So the weeks don't run by and it suddenly becomes a little bit more awkward to say anything. And take Joe's advice and get stuck into church right from the start. Not just going, which can be hard enough actually when you're in a new place. Because you really have to persist to go week in, week out to get to know people till you feel comfortable there. But get stuck in serving. Give yourself to the body of Christ so you can have a support structure there and be accountable. There are all sorts of things in this world crying out for your attention, grabbing to control your lifestyle, and quite frankly, making a play for your soul. Which is why Joshua calls us here to now fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Because if we don't serve him, we will end up serving something else. And so the people answer in verses 16 and 18. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Which brings us to Joshua's third and final encouragement. And what a strange gift of encouragement Joshua has as he says, but you can't do this. Remember that you can't do this. Do you see that in verse 19? But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. The people have pledged allegiance to the Lord. And if this had been me, you know, I'd be punching the air like a tennis player and rushing home to post on Facebook. What a result tonight at Jesmond Parish Church. Hashtag revival. <laughs> Yet Joshua says, serve the Lord? Nah, I don't believe you. I don't think you can. What is going on here? Is this Joshua being a cantankerous and argumentative old codger? He is, after all, 110 years old at this point. Well, rest assured, these are not the words of a grumpy old man, but this is the advice of a wise old saint. Joshua wasn't convinced by their bubbly enthusiasm. 
He'd heard it all before from the Israelites. Oh yeah, we'll serve the Lord. And then they'd turn away from God and go their own way, time after time after time. He knows that they're trusting in their own words, their own abilities, their own will. He knows that they mistake brave words in the heat of the moment with the long walk of obedience. The point is that Joshua is right. They and we and no one can serve the Lord as we truly should. By our own strength, we just cannot do it. Of course, we should pledge our allegiance to him. But as we do so, we must realize what we're promising. We must grasp the enormity of and take time to reflect on the words that we say, the words that we pray, the words that we sing. And we must realize that we are too weak to, make, to keep the promises that we make. And this is the starting point of genuine faith, understanding our weakness, our inability to, to relate to God properly by ourselves. And it's the way we go on in faith, knowing that we can't keep these promises. But by God's strength, we can. By God's strength. Joshua knows that somehow he must stand between the I cannot serve the Lord, verse 19, and the remembering what the Lord has done, keeping us, bringing us to himself, rescuing us of verses 1 to 13. He says, do you know who you're promising to serve? And he says, the way you will serve him properly is if you understand who he is and trust him and fear him. Did you notice that? Back in verse 14, that word. Joshua invited the people to fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. You see, Joshua's purpose here is not to drive us from the Lord, but to make us run to him. Because if I fear him and know him, I will run to him understood this better than uh, I ever have done before when I was playing monsters with my children a few weeks back I don't know if you've ever played monsters with your children or other children for those of you who don't know I have three children who are aged six four and two and when we play monsters the children go into another room and I run into that room and I go I'm coming to get you and the children scream and laugh and go Again, Daddy. <laughs> so I go back out of the room. And I run back in. I go, rah, I'm coming to get you. And they scream and they laugh. And they go, again, Daddy. But louder. So I go back out the door. I run, I run back in a different door to the room. Oh, surprise. And I go, rah. But this is too loud too loud for my two-year-old daughter who starts crying and she runs but where does she run she runs to me very interestingly she runs to me and I pick her up in my arms and I cradle her there and I give her a hug and I suddenly think about this and I, I realize in her fear what has she done she has run to me If you're scared of someone, you run from them, don't you? If you're really, really scared of someone, you run from them. You don't run to them. But that is exactly what she did, and she did exactly the right thing. Because I was scary, and I am quite scary as a monster. I'm, I'm, you, you haven't really seen the best of it yet. <laughs> Maybe we'll play later. 
But while I was scary, I am also her daddy. And that's what it means to fear the Lord. When we fear him, we run to him. Because who else should we run to? After all, you can't escape him. For we know from verse 19 that he is a holy God, a jealous God. He's a perfect God, a protective God, who won't keep forgiving if we're flippant and casual about sin. And we know from verse 20 that if we desert him, he could consume us, pursue us, burn us up in an instant. But we also know that he is our heavenly father. Verses 1 to 13, he's our heavenly father who rescues us from our sins and provides for our every need so lavishly. So we run to him and we grab hold of him and we shelter under his protection. Where else should we go? Yes, we promise to serve the Lord, but we must not make this decision casually, lightly, flippantly. We must make it fearfully, respectfully, understanding who he is. We can't do it ourselves, so we must fear him and run to him and shelter in him. There are choices to be made. There are choices to be made, folks. And as you make your choices, do not trust yourself. Understand your weakness. Confess it to the Lord. And trust in God, in whom all our hope can be placed. Throw away the everything might, that, that might hinder you and run to him and make him alone your master. Let's pray. Father God, help us to be totally realistic about ourselves before you tonight. Help us, we pray, not to stand on our decision for you, but on your decision for us. Help us to stand not on our words of promise to you, but on, our great, on your great promises to us. Help us to stand not on, your word, on our words to you, but on the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. In his name we pray. Amen.